0: Series, rough and holy. It's a, a series about what we are learning from Abraham and his family about true discipleship. So today, I get to set up our theme and introduce our guest speaker. Uh, and let me do that first. Actually, it's an honor to have Kiana Osborne with us this morning. Um, Kiana is an emerging leader in Charlotte, whose experience intersects with all kinds of different areas, from banking, higher education, government, nonprofit world. Um, and she currently serves as the board chair of Christlink, a nonprofit that seeks to remove barriers to mental health care in underdeserved communities. And she also recently co-founded a movement here in Charlotte called It Ends Now, which works to collaboratively educate, empower, and deploy the people of Charlotte to end systemic racism in our city. And that organization envisions Charlotte leading the nation In racial reform as we follow the example of Jesus as as we uh, are are participating in God's mission and as God himself reveals his kingdom in our midst so I'm so excited thank you Kiana for being with us Um, where we're at in the story of Abraham is we are going to be in chapter 18 of Genesis um, and it's good to remember at this point that God's promise to Abraham and Sarah is still unfulfilled because Sarah still is childless. And it's something they're lamenting. And so the the theme for today is when hope feels laughable. And I thought about Kiana and, and this mission to end systemic racism in Charlotte with this theme. Because I think that for many, this hope of ending racism, if we're honest, many of us are in the point where we're not sure. We're not sure where that story is going. Maybe that hope seems laughable. In fact, one of the critiques of Christianity from those outside the church is that this hope that we cling to of God making all things new, reconciling all things through a crucified and risen Jesus is just out of touch with reality. And and it may make us feel good in some kind of sentimental way, but at the the end of the day, it's basically a fairy tale. This is the critique coming at the church. Um, The other day, I was watching an interview uh, where Stephen Colbert was talking with Ta-Nehisi Coates, a well-known writer who's written powerfully on the black experience in America. At one point in the interview, Colbert asked him, do you have any hope tonight for the people that are watching, connecting in with us in terms of moving toward racial justice as a country? And Coates paused for a second and said, "Uh, no, no. And there was a bunch of nervous laughter in the room. And and he said, well, it's not my job to provide hope. My job is to to research and deal with the facts and name reality. If you want hope, that's what your pastor's for. I'm a facts guy. Your pastor can be the faith guy. And and so is setting up this divide between reality and hope and faith. Um, This divide between the rough and the holy which is what we've been wrestling with in in this series, that those areas don't really mix. That's the lament coming from Coates and others. But what we're going to name this morning is that, yes, that tension is real, and yet in God's story, hope and the holy is revealed right in the midst of all of the rough realities. That hope comes crashing in to situations that are really harsh and really confusing, And and our first reaction in the midst of that may be to laugh. That's what Sarah did. Hope came crashing into her reality and she laughed at it. And yet, as we follow Sarah's story, that initial laughter of unbelief was eventually turned into laughter of joy. And that's our prayer as people of God. Um, so, as we um, are preparing to hear from God's word uh, before Kiana comes up, I just ask you to stand with me as we um, engage this text together. I'm going to read it all the way through um, and then um, pray and invite Kiana up. So, this is Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 1 to 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought. Then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent and to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sails of fine flour, knead it, bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God of hope, we confess that sometimes uh, the hope that you offer seems uh, far-fetched, and we laugh. Um, So in this moment of silence, God, just hear us as we name a promise, a reality, um, a word from you that to us maybe feels laughable. Hear us now. thank you for allowing us to be honest before you. Thank you in your mercy that you hear us and love us and make your promises yes to us in Christ. God, help us to hear by your spirit this morning how nothing is too hard for you. Guide Kiana as she teaches this morning. May we be receptive to what you say to us through her, her, through your word, and God, may you fill us with hope this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: God is funny. (laughs) Um, So, Wes asked me a little over a month ago to speak here, and immediately I started preparing. I started reading the verse, the verses that we'd be coming from today, and preparing what I would write, listening to God for what He wanted to be said today. Last week, I started practicing, trying to memorize what I was going to say. Uh, And Friday night, God changed some of what I was supposed to say. And I don't know about you, I've been going to church since I was a little kid, so I've heard pastors oftentimes say, man, I had this sermon prepared, but um, God changed it this morning, or God changed it last night, or God changed it last week. Um, And I always thought, man, that must suck. (laughs) Um, And then it happened to me, (laughs) Um, and I was reflecting on that as I was frantically writing and trying to memorize what I might say today, (laughs) Um, and I thought maybe I was hoping in my own ability to deliver a message that I had practiced and studied and prepared That I was hoping in my own ability so that you would receive whatever it was that God had put on me. And so I feel like God had to even challenge my hope as I prepared this talk to say, Kiana, it's not about you. (laughs) Whatever I want to do today, I can do. Whether you have it memorized completely or whether I change it the day before. Um, And so... It has me wondering, is that how Sarah was feeling in chapter 18 where she wanted to have this hope? She, she really was excited about this possibility of God's promise being fulfilled. She wanted <laughs> to be who the promise was fulfilled through. But as time passed, she just couldn't help but let these destructive thoughts lead her to no longer having hope in having a son herself. And I wonder if we, the body of Christ, at least here in the United States, have allowed our hope for God's kingdom being revealed on earth to disappear. I wonder if so much time has passed that we now find it laughable to even put forth the effort we were created to make thy kingdom come a reality. And so I want to explore three verses today um, and just kind of go back and forth between what Sarah may have been feeling and what we may be feeling in this time. The first verse is verse 9. Verse 9 in our reading, part of it says, where is Sarah, your wife? Where is your wife, Sarah? Um, And I've heard a similar question. Um, I've heard it start to be asked a little bit more often recently Where is the church? Where is the church, Christ's bride? When policies disproportionately affect one race of people more than another, where is the church? When hate speech is being spoken from the highest offices in our country, where is the church? When families are mourning the loss of a loved one taken at the hands of the police, where is the church? And it's really interesting that the question is not just, where is Sarah? Where is your wife, Sarah, is inserted in there. And so we learn earlier in Genesis that a wife is an extension of her husband. When God created Adam, he extended with a piece of Adam to create Eve. And so it'd be fair to assume that a wife would be near her husband, if she truly is an extension of her husband. And so I noticed as I was reading, and I'm, I'm no seminarian, uh, Wes and Nate definitely have me beat, Mike, um, but God does seem to ask this re- rhetorical question quite often. Um, I can think of two other times he asks a where is question when it's pretty obvious. Um, one, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and two, when Cain killed Abel. And so I couldn't help but wonder, what is God's purpose when he asks questions like this? Since there's a pattern, can we find similar purpose when this question is asked of the modern American church? When he asks, where are you, to Adam, where is your brother, to Cain, and where is your wife, to Abraham? I think God's making it known that the person he's asking about is not where he expects them to be. Adam was hiding and shouldn't have been. Abel was dead and shouldn't have been. Sarah was doubting God's promise, having already given Hagar to Abraham and should not have been. The American church isn't where God expects it to be either. The church is the wife of God, an extension of who God is. So why isn't the church in the places that the Bible clearly demonstrates God is? God is with the hurting, the afflicted, the outcast, the marginalized. Where is the church? And so Sarah gives a reason in verse 11. She gives a reason for why she's distant from Abraham. Verse 11 says, Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So maybe Sarah just wasn't next to her husband because they had gotten old. (laughs) They were past the stage of puppy love, Uh, Sarah even a little later asks, she questions this idea of her and Abraham experiencing pleasure together, so clearly she felt there was no reason to be that close to her husband. There was no need to work towards fulfilling this promise. So much time had passed, clearly God was going to do some sort of immaculate conception, something that didn't require humans. And maybe that's why the American church has been absent in places it would seem fitting to be present. Maybe systemic racism has reached a point of no return. Maybe God will have to perform a miracle in order to repair the 400-plus-year damage done. Maybe there's no way any human effort can assist God at this point. Sarah gave a reason in verse 11, but that doesn't mean that in God's eyes she actually had a reason to not participate in fulfilling God's promise. We know this because of verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, why did Sarah laugh? And verse 14 says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? So I want to explore verse 13 first, um, and bear with me because this is the part that God changed. So <laughs> um, God asks yet another question that has an obvious answer Why did Sarah laugh? What do you mean? <laughs> she's in her 90s, and you're telling her she's going to have a baby. That's why Sarah laughed. That's obvious. But if you'll recall, in chapter 17, Abraham laughed when he was given the same message. And God didn't question his laughter. So, so what was different? I think the difference is actually obvious. It's probably something that we all do. Um, if I walked in here today and at the beginning I said, um, Warehouse family, I have a $1 million gift card for each of you. Some of you, yep, I hear it. <laughs> some of you would laugh nervously like, okay. <laughs> You're like, I want to believe. I, I really hope she has that with her. Uh, cool. But some of you, some of you that didn't laugh, probably laughed under your breath. You said, there's no way she has a million dollars. Who is she? to have a million dollars. I don't need her million dollars. I think that was the difference between Sarah's laugh and Abraham's laugh. Abraham's laugh still had hope. It was like, I mean, okay. (laughs) I'll take it if, sure. (laughs) Sarah's laugh was beyond disbelief. It was like, no, (laughs) you're right. And I know it's, it's natural to become doubtful and cynical by the passing years, exhausted by what seems to be unkept promises by God. Trust me, I know. I'm preaching to myself up here, but we are called to hope in God. And verse 14 even reminds us nothing is too hard for God. God. So just like Abraham and Sarah, we were called by God specifically for the task of bringing God's kingdom to earth. In order to complete this special task, we have to maintain our hope, not in ourselves. Just like I was hoping in my own ability to be able to memorize this thing and talk to you from my own knowledge, my own abilities, that's not where my hope was supposed to come from and that's not where our hope is ever supposed to come from. Just think about Ephesians, uh, I think it's chapter three, verse 20, it says, God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Like, if you think about your wildest dream come true, and then think, not only can God top that, he can exceedingly abundantly top it. So like, we can't even imagine what God can do. So perhaps we the church aren't laughing out loud at the idea of racism coming to an end in the United States, but God hears our cynicism, God hears our doubts, even when we try to hide it with silence or meaningless words, works, acts. I wonder if we've forgotten our special calling to bring as much of God's kingdom to earth as possible until Jesus returns. Because if we hadn't forgotten this, then why wouldn't we work towards perfection every day, no matter how impossible it may seem? The hope of ending systemic racism may seem laughable. But I challenge all of us to laugh like Abraham laughed, to laugh with some hope still in there. To laugh as if we know that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine. To laugh knowing like what verse 14 said, nothing's impossible for the Lord. That laugh hesitates, it does, because we're human, but it doesn't doubt. It doesn't doubt God's ability. Sarah's laugh doubts God's power. We can't end systemic racism on our own. I can't remember if it was Wes or Mike that talked about uh Ta-Nehisi Coates. But yeah, of course he doesn't have hope. We cannot end systemic racism on our own. It, it, it's just not possible. But I want to challenge us to imagine a future in America that treats all Americans as image bearers of God, because God can do exceedingly abundantly more than that. And so let's leave behind the cynicism, let's restore our hope in God. We can't just sit back and hope, hope that God will just do all the work, like Sarah, just believe that there's gonna be some immaculate conception, not touch Abraham. (laughs) They had to make a baby. So we have to hope in God with a willingness to do whatever it is that he asks of us in order to fulfill his promise. So Warehouse family, as verse 9 reminds us, let's make sure no one ever asks, where is the church again? And as verse 11 reminds us, Let's eliminate any excuse for not being in spaces that Jesus would be. And as verses 13 and 14 remind us, let's stop laughing and start hoping again. Because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your humor. Uh... Thank you for knowing that we may not believe and understand all that you are capable of. But we thank you that you have the power to do it and you will forgive us time and time again as we wonder if it's really possible for you to do what you've promised. Help us to do our part, make it clear to us what you want us to do, which fruits of the spirit you want us to use, which spiritual giftings you want us to use to make thy kingdom come a reality. Help us to disciple those around us who may not know what they can do to ensure your kingdom comes here on earth. Thank you for laughter, Lord, and thank you that it's okay to laugh as long as we don't remove our hope. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for the words in the worship song that was sung this morning. Help us to build our lives upon your love. Let that be the firm foundation for how we go out into this world. In Jesus' name we pray.